Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the precious promises of God's word. We know that the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. I thank you for every individual that's here today, Lord, that's under the sound of my voice. And I pray that the Spirit of God will not allow the enemy to twist anything that I'm saying today to make it mean something that it's not meant to say. I pray that the Word of God will be crisp and clear and hearts will be open to receive the truth that you've placed in my heart and that the Spirit of God will take these truths and change lives. That's why we're here today, Lord. We want to see the Word of God change our lives. We want to be all that you want us to be. We want Jesus Christ to be formed in our lives. We thank you for it ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter and the ninth verse. That's the chapter concerning the Beatitudes that Jesus gave as he was teaching. And in the ninth verse of chapter five of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus makes a very simple statement. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers powerful little word. And uh, it's an interesting thing, as you look around, everyone that I know of, everyone I've ever met wants peace. Now you think about it. You say, no, there's people that are out there fighting wars all over the place, but they want peace, but they want peace on their own terms. And that's what the problem is in the world today. Everybody wants peace, but they always want it on their own terms. Today, as we talk about this peacemaker here in Matthew 5, 9, I want to ask you, what really constitutes a peacemaker? I think you're going to be surprised. The first question, I guess, is what is peace that we'll try to answer today? And, and where does it come from? Uh, and who is a peacemaker? And what does a peacemaker do? And if Jesus said the peacemaker is going to be blessed, how can we become peacemakers as he describes here in Matthew 5, 9? Now, the answer to this question or these questions are crucial because if we desire to be called the sons of God, he said we have to be peacemakers. And by the way, you and I know that as we look around the world that peace is not a really a part of man's existence today, whether it's internationally or nationally or locally. It's a strange thing. When the angels came, they announced and on earth peace toward as uh, peace, goodwill toward men peace, goodwill toward men. Do you realize that since that announcement was made, there have been over 14,600 known wars and skirmishes in the world? And what men call peace today, when there's not an open conflict today, they call it peace. It's actually only a, a pause on man's part to reload for the next battle. They're just getting ready again to load up and hit each other again. But this is the world's concept of peace, the absence of open conflict. It doesn't just stop with international and national, but people battle with words, with fists, in our public schools, with guns, all kinds of weapons. In our homes, people are fighting. In our neighborhood, they're fighting. In one neighborhood against another. In our churches, they're fighting. Whether it's religious or social or ethnic, there's conflicts everywhere we turn. And these things suck the life out of a society, out of this world, and keep it from being everything that God intended it to be. Men and women today cry, peace and safety around the world when they think they've achieved some peace and safety. In reality, there is none. The reason is whenever we put self to the forefront, whenever you and I say, I want my way, I'm going to have things my way, I can assure you, according to God's word, you will never know peace. The reason is 
what James said in James, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and 2, if you'll turn to that. James 4, 1 and 2. James said, From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. Why? That ye may consume it upon your lusts. James says you'll never know peace as long as you have greed and selfishness in your heart. It's the selfishness and greed in the heart of a man that precipitates the strife and the division and the hatred and the resentment and the wars. And all of these things are allies of Satan and his host to keep mankind from being what God wants them to be. Now, there are many people who say they've found peace. Many of them find it through medication. We're finding more and more people today are on on uh, mood-altering drugs because they want to just quiet themselves down and, oh, I found peace. I heard of a, a mother who took her child to a psychiatrist and the child was just hyperactive and the doctor said, here, give him two of these little tablets a day and he'll be all right. She says, he's tearing up my house, he's tearing up my life, I don't know what to do, just give him these two pills and I'll see you in two weeks. She came back in two weeks and the child was tearing up the office and he said, how is it going? And she said, who cares? She found peace, she thought. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about. Some people try to find peace today with alcohol. They're going to drown out their problems. The only problem is the next day they wake up and the problems are even greater, but they think they're finding peace. Many of our young people today and many of our professional people today are trying to find peace through uh, the drug um, society today. We here, even in the Orlando area where I live, find that more and more young people and middle-aged people are dying every day from an overdose of drugs. They're trying to find peace. They're trying to escape reality and think that that's peace. It's not peace. Many of them are finding they think they're finding peace by suicide. I'll just end it all. Dear heart, let me tell you something. According to God's Word, you're jumping out of the frying pan into the fire because the Bible says after death comes the judgment. And if a person's heart is not right with God, die, taking your life is certainly not the answer for finding peace. Now, in the midst of all this turmoil and all the conflict that was in the world when Jesus came to earth, all the uncertainty, all the unrest, he came and he proclaimed peace. He is the Prince of Peace. As you read the Word of God, the one theme is peace. From the Garden of Eden all the way to the book of Revelation, between these two books, there are over 400 references to peace. And the basis of that peace is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and God, who is the God of peace. Scriptural peace is what we're talking about. There is nothing, and it is, excuse me, it is nothing like what the world knows. It has nothing to do with armies. Some people want to make peace with armies. It has nothing to do with the uniting of the nations, which is going to take place in the days ahead. We're talking about a one-world government. That's not going to bring peace. It has nothing to do with the World Council of Churches. It has nothing to do with statesmanship, negotiations, treaties, or political parties. All of these groups have their own political agendas that are not consistent with God's agenda. Some people think they're going to vote in righteousness. I want to tell you something. If you want to check and see if we're going to have righteousness, check the lives of the people who are ruling us now in Washington, D.C. And if you think that's going to bring righteousness, I've got news for you. God's peace. Now, here's the difference. God's peace, in contrast to man's peace, does not avoid truth. God's peace does not exclude the actual issues of life. 
God's peace goes right to the heart and deals with the issues of truth. It confronts the problem. When men read the Word of God, someone says that men stay away from the Word of God because the Word of God will change your heart, or if you, don't, if you read it, it will show you what your heart's really like. And sin will either keep you from the book or the book will keep you from sin. It's like a mirror. When you look into it, it shows you all the flaws that are in your life. Why? To show you how ugly you are? No, God does it to show you how desperately you need the peace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But God confronts the problem right straight on and says that men is, man is lost, that man needs to re be redeemed. God then seeks to openly and honestly solve the problem that he shows us. And that the solving of that problem honestly and openly comes through the person of Jesus Christ, which the Bible says is our peace, and that he alone can give peace. He makes peace a reality for those who will come to him in repentance, faith, and total submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, the meaning of peace, the peace, peace is actually more than the absence of conflict. That's why a lot of times people say, peace, peace, and the Bible says there is no peace. Peace is the presence of righteousness. Let me say that again, lest you miss it. Peace, the only true peace that is possible is the presence of of righteousness and only righteousness. Peace produces a relationship that brings enemies together. Note, you can stop fighting without righteousness, but you can't live peaceably without righteousness. Righteousness puts an end to the desire to harm others. It ministers the, the true feelings of love that produce harmony. When a man's life has been redeemed through forgiveness, God's forgiveness, and he experiences genuine love in his heart, and here's God says that you're to love your neighbor as yourself, and that you are to forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, then true peace can come. Where you can put your arms around those that were your enemies and say, I love you and I forgive you for God's sake. Then you begin to have true peace. Jeremiah's greetings in the Old Testament, shalom, we hear it all the time today, shalom, shalom. By the way, do you know that it does not mean may you not have war? Shalom means may you have all the righteousness and goodness of God. With the righteousness and goodness of God, then you have true peace, regardless of what's going on around you. So when some, someone says shalom to you, and you just think peace, realign your thinking, realize what they're actually saying is may you have all the righteousness and goodness of God. And that's a good, good thing to, to wish on anyone, isn't it? I want to wish shalom to each one of you, that you might have all the goodness and the righteousness of God in you. You see, men cannot create peace. They can only create or offer a truce, a cessation of hostility, an end to the battle for the moment. But the cause is still present. There's no change of heart. Over in Bosnia, we have what we call peacekeepers. And right now they're in trouble because they're standing between two groups of people who hate each other and say, no, 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 don't do that. Now you stop that. We're not going to let you fight anymore. We are peacekeepers. We're going to keep the peace here. But there's no change of heart. They're just the same. The two sides are just the same. They're not bringing peace. They are forcing a, an outward uh, appearance of peace, just a truce. See, God's peace ends hostility because he goes to the heart of the matter. And, and, and he calls sin, sin. 
and he causes a demands a change of heart that will cause a change of allegiance to obey God. He brings forth true righteousness. What's that? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Once he deals with the cause, man's heart, the end result when they respond is true peace. Let me talk to you for a little while about the, the, the two manifestations of God's peace. The first one is peace with God. Here's where God deals with our alienation and separation from him. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. This peace that God has to offer us, the peace of God, is not from self-attainment. The Bible says very clearly, not by works of righteousness which you and I have done, but according to his mercy he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come to the religious and the pious and the externally perfect people. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 9, 13 said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It was the righteous, religious and the externally perfect people that Jesus had to come against continuously and who came against him continuously. The peace uh, with God comes only to those who are broken in spirit, who realize their poverty of spirit, realize their bankruptcy before God and mourn over their sinful condition, who know they can't produce that peace themselves, and who come with a heart for God and desire His righteousness to dwell in their heart. These alone are the peace people, having peace with God. Now, note something here. This peace does not come at a cheap price. We have a lot of today sloppy agapes, easy grace, only believism, just try Jesus like you put on a pair of shoes. And I'm not trying to be critical of people, but I'm saying we're getting away from what the genuine gospel truth is, and that is we exchange life. We give up our lives to let Christ live his life through us. It's not self-esteem. It's self-putting down ourselves like John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. When somebody finds out who they are in God, you don't have to worry about their esteem because all their hope, all their righteousness, all their justification for existence is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus, having made peace by the blood of his cross, it didn't come at a cheap price. The price for the peace with God is through Christ's death on the cross. Christ's death brought man and God together, and Jesus had to be mocked and cursed and reviled and killed, and God's wrath was put on Christ to make this peace with God possible. Now, I hope you have the peace with God today through a personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith and submission to the Lordship of Christ. The next kind of peace is the peace of God. Now, God, the God of peace, sent the Prince of Peace, who sent the Spirit of Peace to give us the fruit of peace. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. If you and I have, the peace, have peace with God and will submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life, He will bring the gift of peace into our hearts. You see, the Spirit can give us a peace that passes all understanding. The world can be in turmoil around us, 
We may have uncontrollable problems all around us. We may be experiencing negative circumstances continuously, yet we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, knowing that God is able to make all grace abound toward us, that we having all sufficiency in all things may abound under every good truth, and we can stand on the promise that God is not going to put more on us than we can bear, but will make a way of escape so that we can bear it. Do you know that today? If you don't know that, it's going to be hard for you to know the peace of God. If we can't believe what God says in His Word, it's impossible to have the peace of God. Now, let me just say contrary-wise to that attitude. You may have it all. You may have a lot of possessions and the finest job in the world and a lot of friends and a lot of influence. You might be very popular. You might have a lot of security, all the insurance you need. And yet way down inside in your knower, you know you don't have lasting peace. Now, why is that? Basically, because you know you can't control the circumstances of your life five minutes from now, let alone next week. I know of a woman, very wealthy woman. She and her husband are both very wealthy. He died. Now she's in a nursing home. Everybody else has to take care of her now. All of her wealth can do absolutely nothing for her. And she has no peace. She has no joy. She is in confusion. She doesn't know what's going on. Now, you see, that's why these things that we have cannot bring the peace of God. I know of another woman, financially, hardly owned a thing in this life. And when she became very, very ill and things began to slip away, she began to just rejoice in the Lord. She says, I'm going home. My Lord is calling me home. What a blessing it is to know. And I hope and I trust that I've been faithful to him, but I have the peace of God that passes all understanding in my heart. I'm ready to go home. I'm going home. That's the peace of God. Before the child of God, the true child of God, in the worst of circumstances, we can have peace today. We can have peace tomorrow. We can have peace 20 years from now because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that God is in control of the future. And he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We know that God loves us. We know that we can trust him. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding and all you always acknowledge him and he will bring it to pass. And then it says, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect peace is the result because Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Is he your peace today? Is Jesus Christ your peace today? If you have that assurance, it will produce the peace of God in your life that people will not be able to understand. Through Christ's death on the cross and our faith and our repentance of our sins and submission to God, for the Father through Jesus Christ, we can have not just peace with God, but the peace of God. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, present tense, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this, this, this peace is manifested by our internal response to those external circumstances over which we have no say. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you an example. I was happily married for 28 years, and then the announcement came that my wife had cancer. And for the next year, I saw her just fail and fail and fail. I had took care of her as best I could, up every night, night after night after night. And she went to be with the Lord. I remember when the time came, she, the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do. And she says, honey, just put the medicine in the wastebasket and don't worry about it. If the Lord wants to heal me, he can heal me. If he don't, he can call me home, and I'm ready to go. She had perfect peace. And when she passed away, someone put their arm on my arm and said, how are you? And I said, it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. About a year and a half later, my only son, 
who was studying for the ministry, was a godly young man, studied the word, was a, a counselor, was a preacher and a teacher and was finishing his education. His diabetic condition turned worse and worse and he lost his eyesight and he lost his, his kidneys and all these things and went in for surgery to have an eye removed and when the doctors came out they'd made an error in judgment and he ended up brain dead. And I was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he said before he went in, he said, Daddy, if the Lord doesn't intend to heal me, I would just as soon go home and be with Mom. You see, that's the peace of God. That's the peace of God that he gives us in the midst of the biggest storms. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you have that peace? Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 3, Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We know that God will make a way. Peace is not de dependent upon our circumstances, but rather it's anchored in the relationship we have with the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you have that peace of God today? True peace. Now, the, the God kind of peace can never be divorced from truth and righteousness. Let me say that again. True God kind of peace can never be divorced from truth and righteousness. James 3, 17. Turn to James 3, 17. James says the wisdom that is from above is first, what? Pure. First pure, then peaceable. If men are without peace, I want to tell you something, they're without God. And if men are without God, they're without peace. Because God the Father is the source of all peace. Paul the Apostle said in Philippians 4, 9, the God of peace shall be with you. In 2 Corinthians 3, 11b, he said, live in peace and the God of love and peace Will be, shall be with you. Jesus Christ himself is the embodiment of God's peace. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 13, 14, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ, for he is our peace. If you have peace with God and the peace of God, you are a blessed individual. Now that's the peace of God and peace with God. But what is a peacemaker? What does a peacemaker do to bring about peace? This is where most people totally miss it, and I hope you'll listen closely today. This is where many religious, there are many religious distortions. Many think that a peacemaker are the ones responsible for keeping the peace in the family and at church and among friends and at work. Now, I'm making a distinction now. A peacekeeper, not peacemaker, a peacekeeper always guides the conversations away from the subjects that might cause strife. You've been around them, you know, they, let's not talk about that now. Let's not go there. No, no, don't go there. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about things that we agree on, okay? Saying that will cause some people some discomfort. No, 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 don't talk about that. Dear heart, peacekeepers are compromisers. Let me say it again. Peacekeepers are compromisers. I'm not talking about peacemakers now. Peacekeepers. They avoid confrontation at all costs. They want everybody to be happy, 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 happy. They are the inventors of what's called the no-talk rule. They are experts at change, we call them the change-the-subject people. They keep the peace out here, outside. There's no fights at the dinner table, no crosswords on the outside, no arguing. Peacekeeper is there to steer, constantly steer the conversation away and the confrontation away from the table. No one talks about these things. Let me ask you a question. What do you think happens inside to these people? when they avoid conflicts continuously. They begin to grate. 
they begin to have turmoil and stress inside. They begin to get ulcers. Somebody says, when you have ulcers, it's not from what you're eating, it's from what eating is eating you. Outwardly, oh yes, it's all calm and all quiet, but inside there's enormous conflict. What many call peace, peacekeeper's peace, dear heart is pretend peace. John 14, 27, Jesus describes a, a different kind of peace. In the upper room before the crucifixion, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give I, giveth give I unto you. The world's peace is momentary, it's outward, it's external, it's incapable of changing anyone's heart. Jesus said, my peace is internal. You may face trials and difficulties, you may be stretched, you may be tested, but my peace I give unto you. That's internal peace. After the resurrection again, Jesus said in John 20, 21, peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. Now, external peace, don't misunderstand me. External peace will keep people from fighting and shouting and abusing one another, but it doesn't deal with the inner anger and guilt and heart uh, hatred and heart depravity. It bottles it up like a pressure cooker. Over in Ireland and in Israel and, and, and where there's racial issues today in the world, they, they have peacekeepers there, and all they're doing is bottling it up like a pressure cooker, and it's going to explode. You watch. Wherever peacekeepers operate, eventually people will stop confronting, they'll start avoiding, they'll begin pretending, they'll ignore real issues, they'll bury them. Like they talked about burying the hatchet with the handle still sticking out of the ground, they bury them. People stop telling the truth in homes and in churches that it helps to promote physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse. The result of the no-talk rule actually allows wickedness to continue. It keeps dysfunctional families in abusive cycles. It causes church to avoid questioning sinful conduct. Oh, we don't talk about that. No, we don't, you don't tell on dad. You don't expose what dad's doing in the house. The only cure that we can have in our churches and in our homes is a peacemaker. It would be the peacemaker that will say there's a problem here and we need to talk about it. The conflict is the minute you say that, the peacekeepers will speak up right away to stop you, and they'll say, you're a troublemaker. You, uh, this could start a war. This could start a split in the church. We surely don't want that. You are being very unloving. You're being judgmental. You're a villain. We're trying to maintain peace, and you're stirring up trouble. <laughs> I want you to notice something. A peacekeeper is convinced that the best way to keep the peace is not to talk about it, to blow the whistle on improper behavior or to confront a wrong so that a loved one in the family might go to jail. When we expose the wrong and the perpetrator is caught, who do you think is blamed? Who do you think is going to be accused of being the bum and the guilty one? We are blamed. We're the ones at fault. We're the villains, the peacemaker. And sometimes we feel intimidated when we shouldn't. Peacekeepers want you to stuff inside all the junk and the sin and the rebellion and the heresy and the immorality and the adultery and the sexual impurity and the compromise and just say, everything's all fine. It's fine. Oh, it's, it's okay. I'm fine. You're fine. Everybody's fine. The truth is they're boiling up inside because of the problems. There's a story not too long ago of a very popular charismatic leader, very friendly, very much loved. But there was an eruption because one in the family, after years, finally quit being a peacekeeper and began to be a peacemaker and finally said, my father has been sexually abusing another family member and it's got to stop now. It went on for so long. And what do you think the result was? Mom went ballistic. How can you talk about dad like that? How could you do this to us? 
Guess who was the villain? Mom was living peacefully outwardly, but not inwardly, and she was willing to live in that misery if she didn't have to expose the truth. Dear heart, listen to me now. All true peace is rooted in truth. Today, carnality, immorality, ungodly relationships are tolerated in churches and homes in the name of grace, compassion, and tolerance. And if you try to say something about it, you are being unloving, legalistic, you are in bondage, you're trying to bring people over under the law. Would you note, though, that the blessed ones of which Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 are not the ones who keep their mouths closed when they see improper conduct? Instead, they're the ones who are willing to expose wrong, wrong conduct. James 3.17 again, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. To say that stealing is sin in the church, and say that prostitution is sin, and say that lying is sin, that fornication is sin, and it must stop. But to say that adultery is not sin, that sodomy is no longer sin, that's peacekeeping. It's partiality and it's hypocrisy, and God hates it, dear heart. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, 14, he said, ye are the light of the world. And he said, don't hide it. Set it on a hill. Take it off from under the basket. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. May I ask you a question? What is so unique about light? I think it's the fact that it won't tolerate darkness. Darkness and light absolutely cannot dwell together. And you know something? Light couldn't care less what darkness thinks about it. Its attitude is what you see is what you get. When Jesus came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And he didn't care what people said about it. Today, when you say that, you're being intolerant. That's all right. Jesus was intolerant. True believers today say Christ is the way and that we are to obey his word without exception. That's what Christ said we're to be. He was the light. Now we are the light. And then he went on in Matthew 5, 13 and said, you're the salt of the earth. And he said, salt's good. May I ask you, what's good? What's so unique about salt? Salt retards spoilage. It frustrates bacteria that wants to spread and do its own thing. And by the way, it doesn't care what bacteria thinks about it. It is what it is. I'm salt. And if you don't like it, tough. Now, let me just tell you this, too, that if salt ever quits doing what it's supposed to do, Jesus said it's good for nothing. And may I tell you something? Whenever we quit doing what Jesus tells us to do, we're good for nothing, too. Light and salt are unashamedly and unapologetically confrontational with its environment. And peacemakers are confrontational in a loving way. They know why Paul said they need art to put on the armor. I don't know why a lot of people who call themselves Christians today need armor. Because all they're doing is going around just loving the daylights out of everybody and absolutely refusing to declare sin is sin. They just want everybody to love them and to be at peace with them. And anyone who doesn't do that is a troublemaker. Jesus, by the way, was a peacemaker and they crucified him. The apostles were peacemakers and most of them were martyred for the gospel. The Reformationists were peacemakers. They didn't care what the church said to them. They knew they had the truth and they declared it and many of them were martyred. 
the called out ones today, by the way, they will pay a price too. If you're going to be peacemakers, you're going to pay a price. In 2 Corinthians 11:26, Paul, who was a peacemaker, said he was in perils by the heathen. And the, he started naming all the areas of danger. He said, first of all, I was in peril by the heathen, and which we understand. The heathen didn't want to hear that gospel. And then by his countrymen, the Jews. You know, the Jews uh, were constantly against him and tried to have him. Uh, uh, they wanted to try to kill him several times. But then he said, among false brethren. I like what one commentator says. He says, that's the Judases. They're the ones who kiss Christ and then betray him. Then attack those who are faithful to him. That they are somewhat different and they are not right. Actually, he could kiss Christ and then betray him. And I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ today has many Judases in the church today who say they want to kiss him, but they betray him. Paul's response was, I don't care what others think of me. He said, I glory in trials and tribulations and distresses, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I glory not, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus asks those of his day, why do you call me the way if you're not willing to walk in my way? Why do you call me the life if you, don't want to, if you, if you won't live me? Why do you call me master if you're not willing to obey me? You see, these are peacekeepers who declare him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They are more concerned about men, and they have the fear of man in their heart, which is a snare, and they're afraid that they're not going to build a big church. And may I just say this? It's not in my notes, and I won't charge extra for it, but uh, every time Jesus got a big crowd, he thinned them out. But today we want to get bigger and bigger and bigger because that's the sign of success. Is it? Is it? Or is holiness and purity success? Demanding that we obey God's word. We must today believe and say the same thing. Jesus said, repent. Paul the apostle said, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, and all these everything. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. Are we saying exactly what Jesus Christ and Paul said? We have to say, what God said. We have to say what Jesus said. We have to say what Paul said, who got his revelation from Jesus Christ. He said, the things that I teach faithful men, they should teach other faithful men who should teach other faithful men. In other words, the message doesn't change. Say what I'm saying. We have to say what God said. We have to say what Jesus said. We have to say what Paul said, who got his revelation from Jesus Christ. He said, the things that I teach faithful men, they should teach other faithful men who should teach other faithful men. In other words, the message doesn't change. Say what I'm saying. You and I are supposed to be exposing wrong conduct and wrong doctrine if we're peacemakers. You see, the fear of God will cause it to come into our lives where we don't fear men, but we fear God. And we'll, And let me tell you something. There is an awesome warning in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 30, the Ezekiel, the third chapter, verses 18 and 19. God spoke to the prophet, and he said, When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. Now, see, God tells men they're going to die. God tells men they're going to die. And thou givest not warnings, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. You say, well, that might insult him. That might make him feel bad. That might, he won't, he'll lose some of his self-importance. God says, if I say in my word that a man's going to die, you better warn him of his wicked way. He says, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I, I hope that our ears are open today. God says, quit being peacekeepers and be a peacemaker. 
Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. The sure signs, now here they are, the sure signs of a false teacher. First of all, he will comfort an awakened sinner. Oh, you're really not that bad. May I tell you something? If you sympathize with sin, that is sin. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You can't let them stay in their wickedness and find peace. And we are supposed to be peacemakers. And the only way they can have peace is to tell them of their wickedness and call them to repent of their wickedness and to come out of their wickedness. To be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must not only love the sinner, but you must hate sin in every form and rebuke it at any cost. We must insist that the sinner forsake his sin. Let the wicked forsake his sin, the Bible says. Forsake his sin. Then the end result will be inward peace, and it will rule in their hearts. A peace that's consistent with God's word, that does not avoid confrontation or compromise God's holy standard. And that kind of peace is not a pretend peace. God's peace, let me say it again, God's peace only comes through purity and truth, by confronting and exposing sin and demanding repentance. There's a real paradox here, however. The blessed attitudes that we read here about in Matthew 5 are not trick questions. They're piercing pronouncements. If Jesus spoke a blessing on the peacemakers, it must not be that easy to be one. Think about it. If everybody's a peacemaker, why would God bless them in such a way? Being a peacemaker is a hard process, but a necessary one. Because you're dealing with a man's heart. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Dear heart, man is willing to do anything but to die to his own desires. And he doesn't appreciate being confronted. A real peacemaker actually is just the opposite of what most people think he or she might be. First of all, a true peacemaker if you find a true peacemaker, their motives are pure. And they're willing to move into conflict even though their flesh doesn't want to because they love God above everything else and they love His Word. A real peacemaker has the courage to resist and disagree in order to obey God. To resist and disagree with that which is in conflict with His Word. And willing to exhort and rebuke with all long suffering in season, out of season. That's a true peacemaker. They'll stand for God's holy standard when all the others are compromising to bring a true lasting change in peace. Now, Joshua and Caleb were true peacemakers. They said, God says we can have the land. Oh, there's giants in the land, but God said we could take it. Let's take God at His word. And they were almost stoned. And in the end result of the whole thing is the other ten spies God destroyed with a plague. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two that went into the promised land. They were peacemakers. The others were peacekeepers. Oh, we don't dare go over there. Somebody's going to get hurt. A true peacemaker is willing to take the lid off and say this is not right behavior. This is not uh, accurate or right activity. This, these are not the right actions. This is false teaching. It's got to stop. Let's clean this mess up now. They're not trying to be troublemakers. They're simply responding to their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Be light and be salt. You might say, is this scriptural? Well, in Matthew, or yes, Matthew 10, 34 through 39, let me read to you what Jesus said. 
Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. May I just stop and ask you, are you willing to do that? Do you love Jesus Christ more than father, mother, daughter, son? Are you willing to stand against them if they try to compromise God's word? If they try to step over into disobedience, whether it be through adultery or uh, some uh, aberrant lifestyle, to say, well, you can do whatever you want to, but we will not compromise on this. This is what God's word said, and at any cost, we will stand. Jesus goes on to say, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Luke 12, 51 through 53, Jesus said, Suppose that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the, the daughter, her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, Jesus was the prince of peace, but he will not bring peace if it comes by appeasement or pretending or compromise. That's false peace. That's pretend peace. And that's not the kind of peace he brings. Let me just point out some peacemakers in the Bible. Nathan, when he stuck his finger on the tip of David the king's nose and he said, Thou art the man. He was not a peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. When John the Baptist went to one who wasn't even a believer and put his finger on his nose and said, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He ended up losing his head. But he was a peacemaker. Jesus Christ, when he stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, you hypocrites, you whitened sepulchers. And they crucified him. In John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. For if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Let me tell you something. If you're not being persecuted, there's something wrong. You are not saying what God says. Who's going to be hated? Not the peacekeepers. Oh, everybody loves a peacekeeper. But the peacemakers. Does that mean that the peacemaker is an unloving person? Well, let me ask you. Did Jesus love the Pharisees? Did he want them to have peace? Did he compromise truth by being compassionate with them? Jesus told them the truth. Here, here's how it is, fellas. Your spit shined on the outside, your scumballs on the inside. I want to tell you something. He, he was honest because he loved them. Pharisees' religion is an outward religion. Jesus said the inside is important. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Others said to the Pharisees, oh, aren't they religious people? Oh, how holy they are, how righteous they are. Look how well they raise their hand and pray in public places. They are so spiritual. Jesus said, your hearts are black. You better repent or you're going to perish. Jesus knew that they would kill him, but he loved them enough to tell them the truth regardless of the cost. He was the villain, but he was still willing to tell the truth. I want to tell you something. If your message and my message is external, it won't bring true peace. Someday these same people that we are peacekeepers with will point their finger at us in eternity and say, why didn't you tell me? Let me just quickly bring three observations concerning true peacemakers. First of all, 
a true peacemaker has personally made peace with God himself or herself. Peace is always corrupted by sin and unrighteousness. Therefore, a peacemaker has to be pure in their own heart. They must walk in the light as he is in the light. They might have fellowship with the Lord because sin breaks fellowship with God. The Bible says it is your sin that separates us. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayer. If we have sin in our life, we cannot be a peacemaker. We'll become barrier makers. They set aside a peacemaker, a true peacemaker, will set aside the wrongs, the hurts, the insults, all the harsh things that people say to them, and forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven them. And as, De as Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. They are forgiving because they have experienced genuine forgiveness in their heart. The second thing is that a peacemaker leads others to have peace with God, not just for themselves, but because they realize they're not the spiritually elite. They don't walk around to the thumbs in their armpits saying, see how spiritual I am. I'm the Pharisee and you are the, you're the publican. They're really sensitive to sin because of their own sorrowing over their own sins. They sense their own unworthiness. Someone said you can, Isaiah could have never gone out and said, woe unto you. Until, he, first of all, he had said, woe is me, for I am undone. Once he recognized his own condition, he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Then he could go out and say, woe unto you. But a true peacemaker realizes and recognizes their own unworthiness and how they're so grateful for what God has done for them so that they could have peace in their heart. And I want to tell you, the Nobel Peace Prize was going to be given to those who say, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But how? By forsaking our sins. The third thing about a peacemaker is he, he or she is a person who is willing to do the tough thing. To make peace with others and for others by telling them the truth. And this is not an acceptable practice today, in case you're not aware of it. It's not politically correct today. It's not religiously correct today. We're supposed to quit stirring the pot. We're supposed to say, well, it's not really that bad. Leave it alone. It, it, just let it lie. The minute you and I have that attitude, I want to tell you something. What we're really saying is the truth is not that important. Christ's death was not that important. Eternal issues are not that critical. Reproaches don't scandalize a true peacemaker either. It doesn't intimidate them. May I just tell you that truth without love is harsh and love without truth is compromise? Love without truth is compromise. The doctor can love his patient, but if a doctor comes to you and says that you have, and he knows you have cancer and he tells you, why don't you just go home and take some aspirin for the next few weeks and see how it goes along? He's not being loving with you at all. He's not being truthful with you. There's a deadly thing within you that can destroy your body and he needs to tell you and be honest with you and say, this is what it is. And we need to say, if we're peacemakers, we need to say, I love you enough to tell you the truth. What you're doing is harmful to yourself. It's harmful to your family. It's harmful to your children. It's harmful to your spouse. It's harmful to the body of Christ. It's harmful to those who are living in these forbidden lifestyles. They must quit it. May I just say that you can't sympathize and minister at the same time? Sympathy in itself is self-elevating, and therefore it's sin. Sin is saying something contrary to what God is saying, or doing something contrary to what God is doing. Do I need to say that again? Sin <coughs> is saying something contrary to what God is saying, or doing something contrary to what God is doing. Just remember two things. You will not succeed as a peacemaker until you follow the progression of Matthew 5. 
in verse 6 it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And until you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you won't have the strength to be a peacemaker. In verse 8 he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And make sure you are before you speak. Take note of the two Beatitudes following the peacemakers. Now, we gave you the ones before. Now I want to give you the ones right after where it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God, sons of God. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would he put that right after being a peacemaker, I wonder? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Jesus knows what's going to happen when you and I become peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Jump up and down, he says. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Will you quit looking at what people are saying and what they think about you and begin to realize what God thinks about you when you're obedient to him? Verse 19 says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know when Paul was enum uh, uh, elucidating all the uh, names or the qualities of a leader, he didn't talk about the gifts whatsoever. He talked about the quality of their life. The quality of the life. The purity of their life. And if you and I are going to be peacemakers our lives have to line up. When Paul gave all the requirements of a pastor, do you realize that today the, the divorce and remarriage rate amongst pastors is equal to that of the unchurched world? The divorce and remarriage rate amongst the evangelical church members today is 7% higher than the unchurched world. In charismatic and Pentecostal circles, it's even higher than that. This is a blasted shame to the church. Christians ought to be weeping and mourning and crying out to God that the church might repent. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now here on earth, if you're a peacemaker, you'll be called troublemakers, you'll be called legalistic, judgmental, critical, divisive. But in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be called great. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. And God called Jeremiah to be a spokesman, but God's warning was clear. In Jeremiah 1, 8, be not afraid of their faces. Jeremiah 1, 17, thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Peace is always rooted and grounded in righteousness. You and I are to be rooted and grounded in the word of God for its truth and ready to declare it unashamedly. Paul, in speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5, said, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Exhort, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. That's the work and calling of a peacemaker. A.W. Tozer godly man, made this statement in the Good News Broadcaster some years back. He said, Bible exposition without moral application raises no opposition. As long You can just preach the word and preach the word and preach the word as long as you don't apply it to somebody's life. It, it won't raise any opposition. It is only when the hearer 
is made to understand that truth is in conflict with his heart. They're not living what they're hearing, that resistance sets in. As long as people can hear orthodoxy, divorced from life, they will attend and support churches and institutions without objection. On the other hand, the man who preaches truth and applies it to the life of the hearers, true peacemakers, will feel the nails and the thorns. He will lead a hard life, but a glorious one. Hallelujah. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peacekeeper? I want to encourage you to be a peacemaker. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you and I believe, for example, that the Bible says that marriage is for life, and I've been preaching it now for over 20 years, to remember, to, excuse me, to remarry, it constitutes adultery. If we believe that Paul said the adulterer shall not inherit the kingdom of God, the sodomite shall not inherit the kingdom of God, then we should say so without apology. We can love them, we can dearly love them, but if we really love them, we will tell them that God says that lifestyle is wrong. If you really agree with what I'm saying today, then you ought to be a part of this ministry. You ought to be helping us get this message out and share it with others. And God knows we need more people who will say, I will stand, I will be a peacemaker, and I will support peacemakers who will declare the message of God's word unashamedly. Why? Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Unpopular, ridiculed, berated, yes, but blessed. May the Spirit of God challenge your heart to unabashedly, unashamedly, joyously, be God's faithful peacemaker till Jesus comes or he calls us home. Till he calls us home. I remember, and I'm going to close with this illustration, a missionary who had been on the field, mission field in Africa, 50, over 50 years, and while he was on the field, he lost his wife and two children there on the field, and he stayed on the field. After 50 years, because of ill health, he came home on ship, and when he got to New York City, he heard all the bands playing, and he saw the confetti and all the paper flying off the uh, ship and just a big celebration. He thought, wow. And then he looked down and realized that some Hollywood actors had, and actresses were getting off the ship and everybody was celebrating for them. And when it, he came time to come down the gangplank, everybody had gone home and there he was. He was walking across the dock. He said, God, I've given you over 50 years of my life. I've lost my wife. I've lost my children. God, there's no one that cares and no one that understands when I come home. And he said, then the Spirit of God spoke to his heart and said, Son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. I just want to encourage you. Forget about what the price might be. Don't worry about what people say or what people think about you. Commit yourself totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say what God's Word says. Don't be a peacekeeper with false outward peace. But rather, say, God, I'm willing to stand up and I'm willing to say what your word says. I don't care what other people think or say. Because someday I'm not going to answer to them. I'm going to answer to you. But someday I don't want them pointing their finger at me and saying, you didn't tell me. God, have mercy on us today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this message will change our hearts and lives. Will challenge us to be all that you want us to be that we'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, we want to be called the children of God. We want to be peacemakers. And I pray that you'll, you'll strike the, the, uh, and blast out the compromises in the church today. The pastors will turn their hearts away from compromising and being peacekeepers and begin to declare what the Word of God says. Yes, their church membership may go down. Yes, they may have to move into a smaller building. But the Word of God says that we have to be obedient and faithful to declare all the Word of God. It's not merciful to tell people lies and not declare what the Word says. It's not merciful to tell people they don't have to repent of their sins.
I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you'll raise up more peacemakers today than we ever even dreamed possible. I pray this and ask that you'll bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen.